This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Luke Olivier Mable. And I'm Yannick Maria. And tonight and this week, I expect that I'll die. Hmm. So what's our topic for this week, Yannick? Twitter alternatives. Oh, no. Oh, yes. But before we start, we do have some follow-up. Yep. So on episode 85, I wrote an Alexa skill, and I said on that episode that there was no way to capture arbitrary text in an Alexa skill. This is apparently untrue. Uh, there is a slot type called Amazon.literal, and as long as you give it 100 to 150 sample values of the kinds of things you would be receiving in that slot type, uh, it helps Amazon determine, like, roughly what the scope of the vocabulary it should recognize is so if you give it a bunch of random unrelated words it's going to use something that is more like the whole dictionary and if you give it only let's say color names it's probably only going to scope to colors uh it runs some kind of analysis on that sample usually you have to give about 100 to 150 uh sample utterances for it to work there is a catch though and that is that it's only available for English US, of course, like every feature on Alexa, it's only available in the United States. But on top of that, uh, I think that's the reason that the if this and that skill isn't available outside of the US, because you can give your skills arbitrary names, uh, which certainly helps. And unfortunately, the documentation is pretty clear that Amazon.literal only exists for backwards compatibility with older versions of the Alexa SDK, which means it's probably never going to come out of English US, which is an issue because it greatly limits the range of skills you can create on Alexa um, right now, which is unfortunate. Uh, the second item follow-up I have is that uh, for the past few episodes, we've been having a little bit of audio issues with my microphone, and it's been intermittent issues and we've been having trouble narrowing down exactly what was causing them after running a bunch of tests i was pretty sure it was my usb cable so we are recording with a new usb cable today hopefully my audio will be clean this time because it is infuriating when it's not uh, it could be has another item of follow-up i believe i do and last uh yesterday nintendo finally announced some more details about the nintendo switch online it's something we discussed a lot in our previous uh past episode about Nintendo, but Nintendo said that the Nintendo Switch Online that was supposed to get released this year, we don't know when, now we know when. So it's going to be in September, so let's assume September 30th, and we get more a little bit more detail. So now we know all, right now in North America what will be the games that you'll be able to play online. So we only know about Splatoon now because of kind of the beta launch it had since Splatoon 2 got released. But the other games are going to be ARMS, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, Mario Tennis Aces, and Sushi Strikers. Sushi Striker, The Way of the Sushi Do. I don't know what is that game. But that game oh well. was such a troll. Uh, there was an E3. Uh, I was watching the Twitch stream for Nintendo, and they were like, uh, actually, it wasn't even on the stream. It was on Twitter. Uh, Bill Trennan, which is M Mr. Miyamoto's official translator, uh, he tweeted, you're really going to want to tune in in the next 15 minutes. And like basically all of Nintendo fanboy Twitter blew up and was like, oh my God, what are they going to announce then? And it was like this crazy game about sushi uh, that they announced on 3DS and I believe came out on the 3DS already. And now it's coming out on Switch as well. Um, it's a weird puzzle game thing. It's not a big AAA title or anything. I think it's a downloadable hmm. game for like 15 bucks. 
Huh, interesting. Uh, that was the only name I didn't recognize. So, also part of the Nintendo Switch Online, you'll be able to download 20 NES games uh, in September, and it includes one of my favorites. And can you guess which one it is? Mm, Super Mario Brothers 3? Nope. I'll give you a small hint. It's going to be even, it will become my favorite even more now that you'll be able to use the new functionality of NES game be, could be played uh, co-op online. Small end, so it's a game that you, you're, it's better played with more people. That just makes it harder because that was the only one I could think of. Wrong. So, uh, one of the favorite games I do have the cartridge at home uh, at my parents' place uh, on the NES is Dr. Mario. We, my brother and I play so much Dr. Mario. Oh, and I, I was guess. super ex- I was super excited that they are bringing co-op online on NES games. So, that's nice. Yeah, there is a weird thing, though. It appears that the lineup is going to be rotating, which means you have a limited amount of time to actually take advantage of that. Um, and they have said also publicly that Virtual Console is not coming back, so you won't be able to permanently purchase NES games. To use that way, you're going to have to continue to pay the subscription fee and pay, play whatever is available that month in the lineup. Yeah, and hopefully some of them will come back after a couple of months and all of that stuff. I, I hope it, it will be a bit like uh, what PSN Plus was at in its inception, where it's kind of a, a you have a set of lineup of games that are always available for subscribers. Maybe they'll want to rotate some of them, but hopefully there's kind of like all of those 20, maybe like 10, 12 will stay there for longer, maybe a couple of months, and then they'll rotate in a couple of months and you get more games uh, throughout the year, but some are some of them are available maybe for three or four months. I have to imagine that Mario and Mario Three are not never going to rotate because those are like the ones you want to play the most generally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last but not least, all of this service will also provide you cloud safe storage. It's not unknown how many space that will be uh, available for people to use, but I Nintendo assumes that saves are small and still small on the Switch, so I guess it's unlimited cloud save storage, but don't quote me on that. Uh, that's mostly it about the features. Now let's talk about the money. So Nintendo is going to have two types of membership, one for an individual account and they also have a family account and it's really interesting because the individual account can be uh, purchased for a month three months or 12 months and the prices goes from 4.99 9.99 and 24.99 that's canadian dollars if you want the usd it's 3.99 7.99 and 19.99 and the family membership is only available for a year so it's only available yearly and to meet this price if they come up with a lineup of NES game and they update them quite frequently for $14.99 Canadian dollars or $34.99 USD. That's quite impressive for up to five players on the same account. It's eight. Oh, eight? Okay, yeah. Oh, then uh, my notes were wrong. I'm pretty sure it's eight. Um, another thing that's interesting about this is I was suspecting heavily that they were all accounts that had to be on the same physical switch device and this is not true you can use as many switches as there are people on your account bound to the same family plan which means if your family is rich and you have four switches uh you can have one family plan and spread it across all four of your switches which i guess is pretty cool because most other online stuff 
actually, even PSN, you can't use the online functionality across accounts on the same PlayStation. Like, if my brother gets on my PS4, he can't play online on his account. He has to play through my account because he doesn't have a PSN uh, subscription. Yeah, you would need to have it. And you were right. My notes were wrong. It, it Nintendo says on its website, the Nintendo account holder may invite up to seven other to join a family group. All members of that group will have access to the Nintendo Switch Online. So for 45 Canadian dollars, to me, it becomes a no-brainer. I'm sure Tony and I will just pay it and enjoy it. Uh, talking about Nintendo just reminded me that I have follow-up to follow-up, which is uh, last episode we talked about Nintendo and Psy Games teaming up to... Uh, do a new multiplayer, uh, not multiplayer, a new action RPG for mobile phones. And we made it sound like the Nintendo and DNA agreement was over. It is not over. They continue to be uh, involved with DNA, but now Psy Games is also a part of this weird menage a trois. Uh, so there you go. Hmm. Good. And now let's talk about all of these Twitter and alternative that you've been using for the last few days, months, weeks. years, weeks. Okay, that's good. Um, but before we talk about the alternatives themselves, I guess we sort of need to address like what are the problems with Twitter. Uh oh. Yeah. Remember in my intro when I said I'm going to die this week? That's why. Okay. I don't think it's <laughs> that controversial a topic, but okay. Uh, let's get into it. So first of all, third party clients are in a state of limbo. Uh, in the early days, third parties really made Twitter flourish because they were a web page and the iPhone had just come out, among other things. And the iPhone, well, at least for the first year, you didn't really have much of a choice but to use a web page unless you jailbroke and used Twinkle, which was a great client, or uh, I think the other one was called Quick Twitter or something like that. But eventually, Twitter was like, it's really weird that we are a social network, and when you go on the App Store and you search for Twitter... Every, everybody else's brand comes up except for ours. So they started snatching up uh, different third-party clients and bought them. And one of them was Tweety, which was one of the best uh, Twitter clients on iOS. It was definitely the best Twitter client on iOS at the time that it was purchased. Uh, and a few other clients on other platforms. I don't remember them because they were probably bad because they weren't on iPhone. Sorry. Uh, I can have a good example in my days where I was selling cell phones uh, during my studies, and I was using Falcon on Android, if I recall correctly. Yeah. It got shut down because of the token limit, if I recall. And the developer eventually ended up getting hired by Twitter to work on the Android team, which is kind of funny, but yeah. Yeah, that that was a good one. And Yeah, and there was a, there was a weird thing where for a while Falcon basically... Like, they hit the to the token limit, and they had this page in their app, which was like, log into Twitter, create your own third-party application on the development site, and enter your tokens here and here, and you can continue to use Falcon. And it was really weird, and probably against the terms of service, but whatever. Once Twitter grabbed up uh, the developer, I believe Falcon was pulled from the store, and now a bunch of other alternatives have popped up, except as soon as they hit a hard cap of how many users they can have... Uh, they basically die on the spot because they can't get more users. And if you can't get more users for your paid Twitter client, development of it can't sustain, really. So I sort of hinted at it there. Yes, there is. there was a policy change where basically Twitter said, if you are building alternative views of the timeline for things that are not basically analytics, we strongly discourage doing so. However, they never actually revoked access to those APIs. Um, and there was a hard cap of how many users you could get, which I believe is either 10,000 or 100,000. 
I'm surprised that uh, some of uh, the current popular iOS uh, client are not running to those limits. Or well, they were grandfathered they were in, right? Oh yeah, like Tweetbot. So they were like okay-ish, yep. right? Twitterific and Tweetbot huh. had such a significant user base at the time that this policy change happened that I believe if you had a user base above the cap that they suggested, they doubled the cap. Uh, they doubled the amount of users your application already had, and that became the new user limit you had. And because basically everyone on the Mac used Twitterific uh, as soon as they got on Twitter, because it was sort of the only client for a really long time, uh, Twitterific must have an absolutely massive user cap. And I'm not quite sure about Tweetbot, uh, because it came much later in but I assume it also has a pretty sizable user gap because it is still the premier iOS Twitter client. Related to the change of policy with third-party clients is sort of Twitter wasting the opportunities that they're given. One of the things that made Twitter really unique is it was one of the last social networks to really cling onto a reverse chronological timeline, uh, which is something that I take very dearly because I read basically every tweet and if i feel like i can't keep up with the amount of tweets uh, that are being posted i unfollow people i really like being able to read everything and have a close relationship with a lot of the people that i follow unfortunately the official twitter client and the official twitter apps have basically decided they have given up on the real-time nature which is unfortunate because they also had a really great streaming api which meant that if you were partaking in an event uh, either a live stream online or whatever or something in person, you could be watching people's commentary, or your friend's commentary of the event you were at, or the event you were watching, in real time. And the closest analog to this that I can really think of, um, well, I, of course there's Twitch chat, which let's forget about that. Uh, earlier than that, there was Nico Nico Doga in Japan, which is basically Japan's YouTube, where comments scroll atop of the video, like if it's a marquee tag on top of the video, in real time, uh, as you watch the video and over time videos can get super super crowded with comments because uh, they have the timestamp related to them so if something happens on screen that's funny then your screen swarms with w's because all of everybody is typing lol in japanese which is w uh, and a bunch of w's scroll across the screen which is really strange and basically what they announced is algorithmic timeline is here to stay it is the main feature of the mobile client now if you use the official twitter app they are deprecating the streaming API, and unfortunately, it sounds like the thing that is replacing it is primarily meant to address uh, being able to give push notifications of when you get new direct messages and mentions, but not so much to be able to follow along with the action in real time. Again, this is just like through the grapevine stuff because the API has not been released yet because they're behind schedule. But this summer, they are meant to actually deprecate the streaming API, which is unfortunate. And what's maddening about all of this is Twitter actually made significant steps to get into the live TV market. Like, they've actually signed deals with sports leagues and whatever to actually get exclusive streaming rights for certain sports games. And wouldn't it be great to be watching, like, a basketball game and you have live tweets on the side that reflect what you and your friends are talking about this basketball final or something. And now that they're discontinuing all of this algorithmic, uh, this reverse chronological timeline and streaming API stuff, it makes you wonder why they were even bothering in the live TV space to begin with. And it's still unclear, to be honest, what they're doing there. And aside from like these 
high level, uh, Twitter is less interesting now than it used to be because third party clients and uh, real time, its real time nature is being downplayed. There's also the whole nature of rampant abuse on Twitter. And we're not going to get into it too much because that's a whole entire show in itself. But basically, you have the gamer gators who are uh, hurling uh, harassment at female game developers throughout the gaming industry and games journalists. Uh, you have uh, the alt-right, which is taking over basically every social media they can get their grubby hands on. Uh, and a lot of people to uh, have said publicly that they think that Twitter should be doing more to address these things. Um, I think it is a much larger issue than people actually realize because they don't actually seem to pay attention to like what the scale of Twitter is relative to any other website that they may have actually put their hands on before. Uh, it is not an easy problem to solve, though I do agree that they are not doing enough. Like, you can say it's a hard problem, but they're definitely not doing enough on that point. And certain people have said, we're bringing up alternatives to Twitter so that we can fight this problem. And as we're going to see a little bit later, some of that is sort of questionable. Uh, do you have anything you want to add on the problems with Twitter before we get into our first technical lecture? Because I have to do a technical lecture before we actually get to the first alternative. Not really, to be honest. I think you've hit the nail uh, on everything that we don't like or all of the problems currently with Twitter. And I think we could have been, you could have gone into uh, bigger details about some of the points, but I think for uh, most of it is like you can apply, like you gave example of Gamergate. You can apply that for the last US election. Like you can apply all of this particular problem you describe with a lot of recent Twitter problems. And I think all the comments you made are most, can mostly apply to all of these. All right. So there are basically two approaches to how you can make a Twitter alternative. There is the federated approach and there is the centralized or semi-centralized approach. Um, and this is sort of a spectrum uh, with like semi-centralized pretty much in the middle. And I'm going to explain more or less what federation is and the protocols that enable it before talking a little bit about Mastodon, which is the big federated Twitter alternative. So what is federation? Uh, the closest real-world example I can think of is the email system. Email is one large network that is comprised of many mail servers across the internet that are all intercompatible because they speak the same protocols. If you sign up on Gmail, you can still send mail to a Yahoo mail account just fine. And in email, your user identifier is quite literally username at domain. Like, that is how you are recognized in the email system. And a federated approach to social networking is not too far away from that. Uh, they call it the Fediverse, which is kind of a terrible name, but whatever, that's what they call it. Uh, and it's made up of multiple instances, which are, in this analogy, the mail servers, each hosting one or more users and can communicate with other instances via a standardized protocol that they agreed on and addressing mechanism. So currently, in most cases online, this is OStatus, though we're also going to be talking about ActivityPub, which is the replacement for OStatus, which is still less popular, but hopefully gaining in popularity soon. So OStatus evolved out of open microblogging, which was first implemented by Laconica in 2009. Uh, I'm going to be using the name Laconica, Identica, Status, Net, New Social pretty much inter interchangeably because technically Laconica refers to the software and Identica refers to the main website running that software. And then 
I've lost track of what status net is and what new social is, but I believe they are the new names of Laconica because they change name, but the name changes are so confusing. And then they change name like two other times after that. Uh, so let's just say for the sake of this podcast simplicity, it's not important. First implemented by Laconica in 2009. That's what the name was at the time. Yeah. And uh, seriously, you already lost me. So that's okay. It's great because you only needed to know that information to know who it was first implemented by and Honestly, we probably don't care. Uh, o status is really, really weird because it's not really a spec about anything. It's a loose collection of web standards that when used together can implement social media federation, but it is the most awkward thing you can ever imagine. So the spec more or less revolves around this set of things. You use atom-based feeds. You use activity streams as an XML data schema for status updates. You use the web sub technology for real-time notifications about new posts. And if you want to share likes and replies between instances, you use the Salmon protocol. Now, how many of those technologies did you know about before I told you about them right now? Adam? Yeah, that's pretty much what I expected, yeah. Uh, you might know WebSub under another name. It previously used to be called PubSub Hubbub, but it was impossible to say, so they changed it to WebSub. Um, but uh, I didn't know that one. Yeah, so the entire set of those technologies put together and implemented in a semi-coherent way is O-Status. Um, it's really weird because, like, 10 years ago when they were starting to do, like, federated Twitter alternatives and starting to talk about that stuff, O-Status was a big hype. And nowadays, it seems that almost all of the documentation about this spec is offline or points to dead domains that have been taken over by domain squatters. It's like it completely vanished from the internet, and the only th relic that still exists is somehow the O-status support in Mastodon. Like, th that is the reference implementation now, because everything else seems to have vanished from the internet. Um, which we will return to, things vanishing from the internet in a short bit. So, since O-status has vanished from the internet, the replacement, the new hotness, is called ActivityPub. It is based on the protocol used by PumpBy.io, which is the second attempt at a decentralized social networking platform by the original creator of Laconica, which is the platform that invented O-status before it. It's sort of like serial entrepreneurs. There are like serial decentralized social networking people out there who just reinvent the same thing over and over again. Um, luckily, it's much more of an actual spec that can be used for something. More importantly, it's really for social network application developers to be able to intercommunicate in a more modern, insane way. Uh, feeds are now JSON with a schema that is defined by Activity Streams 2, which is a second version of Activity Streams, which was used in O status. And the spec defines two APIs. So there's a server to server API, which is the communication between instances. And that communication is done in batches of create, update, and delete operations that are transferred across servers. And there's a client server uh, API, which means, in theory, if you write an application that can post to an activity pub enabled social network, it should be able to post to any activity pub enabled social network, regardless of what the actual software running on that server is. Um, and the API uses an easy-to-grasp inbox and outbox model instead of spreading things across multiple technologies that do things in similar but slightly different ways like OStatus did. I have previously been a huge critic, though often in private forums, of OStatus as being sort of a garbage spec. And there were a lot of issues with OStatus that felt to me like eventual scalability issues. Like, I call it the Justin Bieber problem. Like... <laughs> Justin Bieber Does problem. this social networking protocol 
survive if Justin Bieber joins any instance of the service. And Oh, true. Okay, I remember that. You had a lot of discussion about that concept. Yeah, and basically it's like, go look at Justin Bieber's mentions, and you are seeing like a very high percentage of Twitter's overall active usage being reflected in that live stream of data in your face. Because there are literally bots that like nine-year-old girls put on Twitter that are literally just notice me, Justin, and then an auto-incrementing number that goes up that is posted every second. And I'm, I'm not joking, like probably uh, Justin Williams, which occasionally blogs about random nine-year-old girls tweeting at Justin and thinking he's Justin Bieber. Uh, it's maddening how much activity like Justin Bieber, Lady Gaga, like all of the top-tier celebrities... If one of them joins an instance of a federated network, does the entire federated network go down within 24 hours? And with O-Status, I always had huge concerns that this thing was going to fall apart. I've only read Activity Pub like once or twice, so I'm not entirely up to date on this, but it seems much better designed for this scenario, which is a relief for me because, as we'll speak about a little later... I think Mastodon is probably the more likely to succeed of the two Twitter alternatives we're going to be talking about today. And luckily, now Mastodon supports ActivityPub since September. And in January of 2018, the W3C published ActivityPub as a recommendation spec on their website. So this is like true web standard stuff now. We finally have a sane standard for social networking on the internet. And Mastodon happens to be the most popular software package currently running in the Fediverse that supports both OStatus and ActivityPub. If you were to go to your average Mastodon uh, instance, it looks like a knockoff of TweetDeck for web. Uh, I think this is intentional. First of all, I mean, like, they're using Twitter Bootstrap, quite obviously, so it looks a lot like Twitter. Um, but so does every website that uses Bootstrap, like, that's normal. Uh and what's interesting to me is that unlike a lot of previous attempts at making federated social networks, which most of which have died off, um, being a federated network is almost an implementation detail that doesn't matter to end users, which is, I think, key. And I think it's a reason that a lot of my not technically savvy friends have joined Mastodon. The only thing that makes Mastodon really different from Twitter is if they are on, if you're, sending a reply to someone who is on another server, or you are trying to visit the profile of someone who is on another server, you just have to add the domain name of the server they're on, just like email. And because everybody, unfortunately, has to use email on their day-to-day -day lives, they know how to use email, they know how to use Mastodon. Problem solved. There is no usability gap in using Mastodon, whereas previous federated social networks were a disaster. Uh, in usability. Like, not only was the UI just generally worse to begin with, but the entire federation aspect was completely impossible to grok, whereas Mastodon is very user-friendly, and that is great. Now, I said it's an implementation detail that doesn't matter to end-users, except when it does matter to end-users. So this week, a few of my friends actually found out that they were going to go to log into their Mastodon instance, and the person who hosted the instance decided... Nah, no one's using this thing, I'm just going to take it offline. Which means, instantly, like their social network presence has disappeared from the internet, and there's nothing they can do to get it back. Uh, so you're entirely at the whim of people who host instances. If the instance you're, run, uh, you're building your presence on is being neglected, and therefore running behind on either new features or security patches, tough luck, run your own instance. 
If the person decides to bail, suddenly your social media presence is gone. Privacy settings are actually more of a recommendation because, of course, for stuff to travel between instances, it has to travel in the clear, which means the other instance on the other end can just ignore the flag that says only show this to my friends, and suddenly your private posts, in big air quotes, are public because nobody has to actually respect them. With regards to abuse specifically, because this is sort of a federated system, blacklisting or muting instances that feature heavily inappropriate or abusive user bases is a burden that is put on each instance owner individually, uh, which means basically you either need to start developing spam blocker and Nazi blocker plugins for Mastodon that everybody uses together to try and keep the crap out, or you manually have to moderate every message that comes into your instant instance or apply general filters and all of that stuff. And let's be honest, most instance owners are going to fire and forget. They're going to put the instance on the web server and then never touch it ever again, like they do with WordPress blogs, and then they immediately get hacked. Um, and I don't think you should actually expect anyone to actually bother to go through the effort of blacklisting or muting uh, problematic content on their instances, unless it's the biggest instance. So once you know all of this, you might think, hmm, I'm heavily incentivized to stick to one of the big instances, which makes you question, why am I even bothering bothering with a federated system in the first place? And nothing is keeping the bigger instances from ditching whatever federation protocol Mastodon uses at the time that they're most popular, and either rolling their own protocol, which is sort of what ended up happening with Identica, uh, Identica used to be OStatus based and running on Laconica. And then the person who created that software said, nah, I'm going to reinvent the wheel. And then they just changed the software under it and it stopped being compatible with the rest of the federation. And it sort of defeated the entire point of the original version of the site. You can also just choose to stop federating down the line if you feel that lock-in is a more viable way to ensure your instance's survival. Um, so there's a lot of stuff in this that hinges on trusting human beings. And generally, I find that to be bad unless that human being is you. Because over time, people prove us that they are not trustworthy, generally. So yeah, it's it's like one of my friends this week compared it, uh, my friend Tolpa compared it to PHPVB back in the day. Like everyone is treating Mastodon like PHPVB. They're installing it on their thing, but they're not giving a crap about it once it's up there. And crazy stuff is going on in there. And one day it might just be gone. And that is the way you need to treat Mastodon unless you are deliberately choosing a big instance that appears to have some reason to survive or some way to survive. It's funny. It's funny that you're mentioning that because at every step you were describing Mastodon, I was like, "Oh my goodness, it's '90s forums every, every, all over again." Like, of course, like a lot of the car community these days is still on forums, and forums are super popular. And I'm sure I can go on a long tangent about why I hate forums, especially for the type of information that car people put in car forums. That's just maddening. But all of the downsides that you were describing to me felt like this is the exact problem I have with forums. Like one day, like of, like it's harder sometimes, uh, especially when you have big forums. But one day you might have a forum for a small community, and then boom, it disappears. Or if it's still online, you realize that nobody is on it for the last five years, and you're like, why the f is it still online? And then you are not sure who to contact if you want to kind of kind of 
take this community and maybe be doing some stewardship on it to bring it back to life sometimes it's hard to know who to contact because it might just be somebody somewhere around the world that just decided let's put a forum there and voila boom yeah it it really does give me like the, the 90s forum vibe as you say and like i grew up in forums in the 90s and in the early 2000s and a lot of my early online life is lost to those forums now like i can't revisit that stuff not that i actually want to in fact in some cases where stuff is preserved i cringe a lot at stuff that i posted when i was younger (laughs) um but yeah it's it's that kind of thing and i think a better idea than a federated network where let's be honest, most people are not going to be hosting their own instances. Most people do not know how to deploy a Ruby application to a web server. <laughs> uh, so it's not going to happen. I think microblog is a more pragmatic approach to this problem. But before we talk about microblog, we need to talk about another player in the centralized slash semi-centralized space that came before microblog that sort of influences where this is coming from. And that is app.net. I believe we've talked about it on a previous episode like once before. Um, we did. You did an episode about app.net, if I recall correctly. I don't think we did a whole episode about app.net, but I believe it has come up. Um, I wanted to do an episode about app.net, but we were like, well, it's like two and a half years after app.net shut down. What, <laughs> what's the point in doing an episode about app.net? Nobody even cares anymore. Uh, so app.net is the last failed attempt at a user-funded centralized social network. And I'm not going to talk so much about uh, the network because it's largely irrelevant. But the reason it failed in large part is because of confused messaging. Uh, A lot of people bought into app.net thinking that they were trying to be another centralized social network like Twitter. But what they were actually trying to be was a general purpose platform for building social networking applications. And their proof of concept application for that platform was called Alpha, and that was the Twitter alternative. Um, but when it became sort of really ambiguous what app.net actually was, uh, and they started introducing a free tier, there wasn't enough money going through app.net to actually allow it to survive. And eventually it just shut down. Well, first of all, it entered maintenance mode. Uh, where they basically were were going to do security updates and bug fixes, but no new features. And then I think a year and a half, two years after that, they were like, yeah, there's not enough money here to even bother doing maintenance mode anymore, and they completely shut down. I was surprised how long it survived in maintenance mode, to be honest, because you're right, it was around two years, and I was like, wow. Because it was still like, I still have kind of daily usage, enough daily usage to make it happen, but I wouldn't expect it to last for two years. Uh, the one last thing I do want to say, because it sort of informs the the gap between the Mastodon world and the centralized, semi-centralized world, is App.net had a lot of Mac and iOS developers, I think primarily because it got a lot of traction from blogs like Daring Fireball and other podcasts in the Apple sphere. So it was very heavily focused towards Mac and iOS developers, and there was very little of anyone else. And that is interesting because Microblog is founded by Manton Reese, who was, uh, I believe, a pretty heavy user of App.net. Uh, I remember following him there back when I was on there. Um, he, he was. I think he uh, his, his Twitter account is like, I quit Twitter, blah, blah, blah. Go find me, follow me there. And it was for a long time App.net. Yeah, that seems about right. I think he quit Twitter while they were on App.net and like, 
the last day he posted on Twitter that wasn't a micro.blog repost was like the anniversary of Steve Jobs' death or something. Uh, it, he posted like a collection of memories about Steve Jobs and then left Twitter. And now if you go to his account at Manton2 on Twitter, it's all cross posts from micro.blog, which is interesting. Um, yesterday, I sort of created a little commotion, well, little commotion, big commotion on micro.blog uh, by saying I don't have an elevator for pitch for this because it's really complicated to explain what micro.blog is. And it's also very simple to explain what micro.blog is, except the onboarding process for micro.blog is asinine. And it complicates things, uh, and we will get into this. Uh, if I had to give an idealized description of what micro.blog is, it's like Twitter, but funded directly by its users. It embraces third-party developers. It's run by people with taste and a desire for civility. This is, like, I, I stayed up until 1.30 last night, and that is the conclusion I came to. It took a really long time. I think it took, like, six hours of arguing on micro.blog to actually come to that conclusion, that is the idealized description. Now, unfortunately, if you go to micro.blog and you try to sign up for an account, you will be confused as hell if you are under the age of 30. Um, so click on sign up. You will be asked for a username. You will be used for an email address, your real name. I believe if you have a website so we can put it in your profile. And then under that, there are going to be two radio buttons. And this is the most maddening part about this entire sign up process. There is host a blog on micro.blog for $5 a month. And under that, there's, I already have a blog. And then there's a field to post in an, an RSS or JSON feed link. And if you listen to the description that I gave you, it's like Twitter, but funded directly by its users, embraces third parties and run by people with taste and a desire for civility. Your next question after that and seeing the sign up page is what do blogs have to do with this at all? Why do blogs matter? Blogs have not mattered in a decade if you're under 30 years old, more or less. If you're not already sold into blogging, blogging is irrelevant. And therefore, having this thing that looks like Twitter and not a blog asks you if you have a blog makes it look like two completely unrelated things are fusing together. If you go to the actual micro.blog homepage, it is self-described as a network of independent microblogs. Short posts like tweets, but on your own website that you control. I believe that there is too much of an emphasis on controlling your own content. And that I should probably explain it before going on further, because I think even I might have lost you already. Um, basically, uh, under the hood, what micro.blog is, is two things. It is a blog. This blog can either be hosted on micro.blog, or you can host it yourself. Um, if you host it yourself, it membership to micro.blog costs nothing. Although you, you can buy add-ons later uh, for certain features. The other component of micro.blog is the glue that holds the network together. So let's say I have a WordPress blog and I join micro.blog and I paste my RSS feed into the thing. I pay nothing. I have a username on micro.blog. Automatically posts that I make on my blog will be posted to micro.blog with the title, uh, well, if it's a long post, it'll be the title and then a link to the thing. Sort of like like regular RSS repeater accounts that you see on Twitter. Pretty normal stuff. If you post a short post, it'll appear like a tweet on micro.blog. And then any replies that happen on that post 
are not hosted on the person that posted its blog, but instead they're hosted on micro.blog. So it's really like, I, I think I explained it to you last time as it's like a comment platform for blogs that looks like Twitter. And it's a blog reader that looks like Twitter. And it's like a sandwich of those two things together. Right. Uh, to me, it felt when we talked about it, it felt that it's like like you own your profile on any social network. So you manage your profile. So here's the format. We expect to read your profile. You store it wherever you want. But make sure that it conforms this format. And then if you do X post, it should be this format. Y post, this format. And to me, micro.blog feels more like, like an event. I'm not sure if it's a good comparison, but like a data format for website, for social website, whether it's blog, Twitter, blah, blah, blah. And they expect if you do micro posts like Twitter, Twitter style posts, do this. Or if you do lengthy posts like you're doing in your blog, do that. And then it works on our platform. It, it's kind of weird because like micro.blog, like the only thing it sees if you host your blog elsewhere is your RSS feed or your JSOC feed, if you have one of those. And the only other way that it talks back to your blog is if your blog supports a protocol called WebMention, the at replies that you get on micro.blog can also get published on your blog directly under it in a sort of comment section thing. But otherwise, it's really just reading your RSS feed and between the items in your RSS feed, inserting the replies you've made to other people on micro.blog, which are those individual replies are hosted on micro.blog. They are not hosted on your blog. Now, all of this sounds incredibly technical, and unfortunately, the fact that micro.blog is called micro.blog means we say blog 7,000 times per sentence, <laughs> uh, which complicates things greatly. If you go to micro.blog slash Sakarina, you see something that looks a lot like the old-school Twitter profile page, like early, early Twitter, when you had basically the logo, you had your name and bio, your icon, and then you had your list of tweets, period. Uh, it doesn't look like Facebook like the current Twitter one sort of does. It looks like old Twitter, which is good from a UI point of view. If you go to sakarina.micro.blog, though, you see something completely different. You see basically a Tumblr blog with all of my tweets on it. <laughs> and yeah, I'm looking at that and it's, and it's weird because it says follow at sakarina on micro.blog. And if you look at the URL, it says micro.blog slash sakarina. Wow. Exactly. This is the disconnect. It's that because everything on micro.blog is a blog, that is my blog that is hosted on a subdomain of micro.blog, which is right, different so that... from my profile on micro.blog, which is based on the feed from that blog and the replies that I've made on micro.blog. Right, the sakura.micro.blog could have been my personal something something It could have been sakura.tumblr.com if I had taken the feed from that and put it there. Right. It could have been a Tumblr blog. Um, hmm. But I think it's a mistake <laughs> fundamentally to even have self-hosted blogs. I think everything should just be the micro.blog interface. And the, the blogging aspect matters to such a small portion of people. Like, if I am trying to pitch my friends on, we need to ditch Twitter because Twitter is slowly getting to be unusable. Right now, the pitch for Mastodon is go join this place 
and continue to use Twitter like you've always used Twitter, except it's Mastodon, and occasionally you'll have to add a domain name to somebody's username. But your habits port directly to Mastodon. For micro.blog, if I tell my friends to join that, I'm going to be like, are you on Tumblr? Hmm, okay. Uh, do you consider what your posts on Tumblr are to be different from what you would normally post on Twitter? If so, you probably want to get the hosted plan for $5 a month so that your posts on Tumblr and your posts on micro.blog are separate. But then you now you've got this other blog which serves absolutely no purpose. Or if you don't mind not fitting into the Tumblr format, because of course Tumblr is barely used as a blog, it's used as a multimedia scrapbook by most people under 30 years old. If you don't care about alienating the people who follow you on Tumblr, you can use your Tumblr blog and give that feed URL to micro.blog and now you can post to micro.blog from Tumblr. Unless it's a reply where you post micro.blog and it's like it's i feel like i have to draw a flow chart to explain to someone oh, yes. how to use micro.blog when in reality it should be go to micro.blog the default option should be i am going to pay five dollars a month and get the self-hosted blog of course the self-hosted blog should be invisible and does not matter because blogs do not are not relevant to people under 30 and you just use it like you use twitter and that should be the use case. At least that it is clear in my mind that that should be the use case if you would want people to come from Twitter and to continue using microblog like they're using Twitter. I don't. I don't think that's in the design goals, though. Part of what we're talking about. So I'm looking at your current work experience, and I wanted to do that while we were recording just to keep my raw thoughts about it. So on the microblog, it's kind of your activity feed because you see everything. Yeah, you see my replies to other people. And you see the posts that I've made. One example of the post that you made is a couple of days ago, you posted a Twitter about a local Etsy fair yeah. uh, in Tuahoya. And then if I go to your blog, or yes, your blog, I don't see the picture when I find the post. You have to click I just on it, see I the think. Text. No, I clicked on it, and I only see the text. Hmm. I so like, am not sure what's going on there. Yes, I'm like... Weird, because I was scrolling through all of your but again, blog posts. I never noticed, because to me, the blog is irrelevant. It shouldn't even be there. Like, if I can make yeah. it redirect to micro.blog slash arena without breaking the entire internet, like, that will be my greatest accomplishment, because I do not want people to see that, because it is not important. It is not... It shouldn't be a part of the, this product. And I, like, I do want to add a caveat, because... Unfortunately, because I've made such a commotion on micro.blog, people are going to be listening to this episode now, maybe... Uh, and they're going to be upset at what I'm saying about micro.blog because it seems like I'm missing the point. I'm not missing the point. I'm just saying the product that micro.blog is, I don't think is anything more than the niche product. And it's perfectly fine if that niche product can be a sustainable business for Manton and for Jean. And in fact, I hope it is a sustainable business for them because it's a neat project. It's not the social network that I should be using probably because there are so yeah. many, there's so many irritating generational gap or personality clash things that I see on micro.blog that are like, this is designed for people who live in a delusional world where blogs are still relevant and it's not. And if, like some people are very passionate about blogs and they want to continue living in this ecosystem that pretends the blogs are relevant. And if they want to, that's fine by me. Uh, go ahead. Um, but you're not going to be grabbing very many users under 30 who think blogs are irrelevant and haven't been relevant for the last decade. I do want to talk about good things about micro.blog, though, because I actually 
really like the site, even though I have like this philosophical disconnect with it. And it's good that you started with that and you'll end with the good things. Yeah, we probably lost all the listeners here by now. <laughs> Come on, please, if you're still listening, the good are the good arguments for Microsoft Blog are starting now. Okay, so posts can be arbitrary markdown because, of course, this is a blog. It's not a Twitter thing. Uh, so you can have bold text. You can have italic text. You can have bulleted lists, block quotes. You can link words to other web pages instead of awkwardly ending your post with a URL. It's magic. We've reinvented, reinvented HTML in the year of our Lord 2018. There is a wider range of apps and features that are trying to make micro.blog fit into more use cases. So three examples of these. Uh, Instagram import is now available on the Mac micro.blog app. So if you have an Instagram account and you want to ditch Instagram, you can import all of your photos from the Instagram archive and put them on your micro.blog account. There is an application called Sunlit, which is really cool. It's for photo blogging and even potentially uh, blogging photos about trips and since i'm going to japan this summer for the god knows how manyth time sixth time i think uh there are going to be a lot of photos on micro.blog this summer in fact that is the primary reason i joined in uh micro.blog because instagram is unusable with an algorithm uh, algorithmic timeline so i want to post things in a format where people can see the posts in order like they're supposed to be that's a good point you're making because uh, rec- these days my main usage for Instagram is to get car shit again. Like I, I've not enough car stuff in my life it seems. But uh, ignoring that statement, uh, I had a friend, a personal friend that was going to a trip, and I was like, "Where are these pictures?" And then scroll, 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 and three pictures out of order. I was like, "Oh crap, that's true." Algorithmic uh, timeline. So, yeah, I can feel why you want to move away. And I think the main reason why you were on Instagram was when you are in trip. Yeah, you, that uh, was the uh, entire reason I was on Instagram was so my family could follow my photos in real time. And now that the timeline is algorithmic, the entire point of why I was on Instagram is gone. So I am trying out alternatives. And this year it's going to be micro.blog. And who knows what it will be in the future. And at least with this... Uh, with micro.blog, you are not forced to follow Yannick. You can just go on his public page and just refresh it and keep it a, a tab well, there the, on your browser. If the images load. <laughs> because it didn't load earlier on, when you went on it, but yeah. No, I mean really on your micro.blog slash Sakrina page. Fair, fair. Uh, and the third uh, app that fits into a special use case that I want to mention is Wavelength, which allows you to post podcasts directly to micro.blog. And in fact, there is a $10 a month plan where if you have a hosted micro.blog blog, you get podcast hosting. Uh, and I believe the limitation is podcasts have to be under 15 minutes because it's microcasts uh, on micro.blog. But the app seems really well made and... Everything is micro on micro.blog. Yes. So here's another good thing. Instead of using hashtags, which are gross and disgusting and nobody should use them, uh, you can use topic-related <laughs> emoji. And there are topic discover pages that search for those emoji in posts and find posts related to that topic. Uh, for some reason, I don't understand. None of my video games posts have ever showed up on the video games page, even though I use the joystick emoji like I'm supposed to. Not sure what's going on there. But uh, my other posts have worked in other emojis, so I think maybe it's just a weird thing with the video games emoji page that's bugged or something. Or I'm using a weird variant of the joystick emoji that I'm not supposed to or something like that. 
Third-party apps are not only welcomed, but also encouraged. Uh, so this week, the first third-party micro.blog client for iOS launched. It's called Icro. It's on the App Store, and it is free. And because micro.blog has no advertising, there are pretty good chances that Manton will never say, ha, 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 now I'm going to screw all the third-party developers and pull the plug on their API, uh, because it will it fundamentally has no major difference on his uh, on how much money he makes at the end because we pay a subscription fee for micro.blog. Uh, naturally, data portability is very good. If you host your blog on micro.blog, you can import posts for, from WordPress or Twitter, or you can export posts to a WordPress-compatible format if you want to migrate away from micro.blog, or you can mirror your blog as a Jekyll website on your GitHub account if you choose. So that is cool. And as I mentioned, it's based on open technologies, RSS and JSON feed, and the API to post to micro.blog is micropub, which is funnily enough, actually a sibling to ActivityPub, which Mastodon is based on. However, micropub was meant for posting to blogs and ActivityPub was meant for posting to social networks. Um, so that is a list of good things. I think it's quite a few good things. And of course, like the community is really chill. Um, however, there are some other downsides that are not related to the whole thing of my head exploding because blogs are not important to 2018. Um, a few of those things, you feel like you have to be well-behaved all the time. And this is sort of related to the Discover feature. Um, I'm not saying this because I want to break the rules or anything. I mean, there are community guidelines, and they are strictly held, although I don't believe anyone has actually had to get kicked off the network because they were being rude or anything. Um, general Or the or the inverse happened, and it's so well done that nobody's like realize it happen and everything maybe okay with it. maybe um but basically there someone is reading every post on micro.blog basically and if you goof off like i do on twitter and post like <laughs> 700 anime screenshots in an entire day okay usually i don't post 700 it's closer to like 12 600 but uh if you decide to goof off you will always have the thought in the back of your mind like i am forcing probably manton and gene to read this post at some point today and you are inconveniencing them by posting things that are not worthy of their time. And I think this means that on average, micro.blog posts have a much higher quality uh, because you are always thinking that in the back of your mind. Problem is, I feel like I am limiting expressing my personality because I always feel like like this is a post that maybe one person on micro.blog will understand and it is a waste of space to post it because someone is going to have to read it and i feel like there is also because of the discover page which shows you a certain feedback of what the community is like there is a certain mold like nobody on micro.blog basically uses all lowercase letters and no punctuation and usual shit tweet po formats basically they all post like normal human beings with punctuation and good grammar and capital letters and everything so if you show up to micro.blog with this weird ass format um you're going to stand out and not necessarily in a good way and i think there's there's good aspects to that and bad aspects to that whereas it forces people to be thoughtful about their posts and to raise the quality level of the individual post but at the same time like you are losing all of that goofing off in the process and if like basically that goofing off is still happening it's just happening on twitter but if i have a choice between hanging out on twitter where all of my friends are and where the, i can both make my serious posts and my goofing off posts and i'm not inconveniencing anyone by doing so 
versus doing it on microblog and then people basically getting fed up with following me there because the format is different. Um, I, I'm, I'm not sure what to make about that. I, I think it's, it's weird. It, it, it's definitely more professional of a place and there are like not, not even political stuff or whatever, but like we know what anime is like. Like if you watch anime on television, like it is an interest of mine. If you watch the modern anime that are coming out, there is like, unfortunately maybe too much perverted stuff in anime and i would not be comfortable discussing anime on micro.blog because i would feel like i would get slapped for doing so in that thing because somebody might think it's too perverted and like i'm not there to post sexually explicit things without people's consent or whatever i'm just there to comment on a form of art that other people also happen to enjoy and yes that is an aspect of it you know I would like to note two things. First of all, uh, there's a modern anime that are not sexually explicit. Yes, you're watching children's uh, a... anime, though. Come on! Come on! It is explicitly targeting the kids' market. Like, welcome to the club. You are also watching children's anime now. <laughs> now I, I can shame it. you. Okay. First of all, okay. First of all, you can shame me. I don't care. Second of all, I've been watching Sakura since the last like 20 years. So that's okay. You can shame me for that. And third of all, now that I think of it, Yuri on Ice is not a children's anime and it's not that sexually explicit. There's just this like some gay love, which is super funny. But, uh, this one is modern, recent, and not explicit so that's good so that was my first point there are animes that are maybe some of them are children are animes but i don't care second of all oh man because all of that ran i forgot my second point thank you mm, this is great oh yes no no, no i remember now sorry about this but the second point is the way the, the way i know you is i know you don't you're not the type of person usually that wants to push social limits and maybe by trying to start Post, doing some of those posts about your favorite animes and posting screenshots like you do uh, on Twitter, you might be pushing a limit, that a social limit in that system that you don't want to be the first one. I know there's a lot of people, and we've seen that with social network and just social norm in general, that some people's personality are kind of, people are good at that and they just don't care about pushing limits. And I know you, and I don't think that's you. So I understand why you're afraid about it. Yeah, I think I think the way to categorize it, and I think also for people who are listening to this episode who have no idea who I am, now they probably think I'm a crazy freak who likes like weird weird anime shit. Um, <laughs> yeah, th- that's all true, by the way. That's all true. So, thank you for not helping my case. But the, <laughs> and there are a bunch of stereotypes attached to that, and I think whatever, uh, think whatever you want to think about me. Uh, I whatever. Um, but where I was going with this is on Twitter, my friends are already all there. We all follow each other. It's like a big chat room of people I am friends with who know who I am. Who kn- We all know who we are. We know we are decent people. Uh, we can have conversations about these things because it's sort of the context of what our Twitter timelines are like. And going on micro.blog, everybody is a stranger. Like, there, there is one person that I recognize from when I was in the Camino IRC channel back, like, ten years ago uh, that we reconnected on micro.blog. And there is a designer from my days on the MacDeeps forums that is on micro.blog. Those are the two people I know on micro.blog that I have talked to before. And everybody else is new. And 
it's not necessarily the greatest impression to like feel like you're walking into a hipster coffee shop and then it's like here is a screenshot of an anime i'm watching and yes unfortunately there are some dubious costume choices in this screenshot but i didn't make them i'm actually trying to focus on another aspect of this thing that maybe you are not noticing because anime is not one of your hobbies and therefore you are not noticing the joke in the screenshot um stuff like that and like when I'm on Twitter, it feels like I'm in an anime convention with my anime friends, right? And when I'm in Microdoblog, it's the hipster coffee shop. It's not the right place for that kind of discussion. And I feel it is stifling in a certain way to actually be hanging out on Microdoblog because I feel like, okay, I just need to act like Mac and iOS developers and indie webs hippies who like blogs and not be myself as much because that's not what people expect from this social venue and that it, it like not pushing those limits is incredibly like this is exactly like you said i'm not the kind of person to i'm not a very extroverted person who puts myself out there and does stuff to be flashy i try to stay appropriate to the context that i'm in and micro.blog is not a context that i'm comfortable talking about those subjects in because it feels like it's naughty or not approved by the community in some way yeah no i I can see it two ways either people like uh what the fuck what are you doing here doing that or you're like hey another anime lover hey i'm happy to see that there's other anime lovers in this that that's the other problem there's no anime emoji or whatever so i can't find other people who like anime on micro.blog for us to have a little micro community to begin with and there's shit ton of emojis. I'm sure you can just find one that means anime that is not really anime, but you'll yeah, set the sh- trend. Sure, I, I agree with that part, except they have to be manually approved for them to have discover pages. It's not every emoji that has Ooh. them. Uh, and there's no search engine. So, like, you can search for people, but you can't search for topics or posts, which basically limits your ability to find people with similar hobbies. And I know that one of the replies to one of the things that I said last night was... One of the things that's great about micro.blog versus Tumblr, because we were talking about the distinction between the blogs on micro.blog and Tumblr, uh, is that posts here are more about everyday life, whereas on Tumblr they are about weird pop culture shit and fandom. And I'm like, yeah, but my everyday life is super mundane. I would rather be talking about pop culture stuff. And maybe I belong on Tumblr and not on micro.blog. I don't know. But it's like that kind of thing where, like, you are going to get bored hearing me talk about how we spend a week and we still don't have a a coffee machine at the office. Like, that is not a post that is interesting. (laughs) And it also sort of goes counter to Manton's sort of informal mission statement. Uh, I mean, I've been following Manton for quite a long time, so I'm familiar with the software he's developed. And sort of the running theme in what he's been doing, especially in the last 10 years, has been archival and permanence. And if there's anything... Uh, like, we sort of talked about this in your photo episode, right? We were talking about, like, there's the ephemera stuff and there's the museum of my life stuff. And I feel like so much of the everyday life stuff is the ephemera stuff that I sort of don't really care about, except maybe randomly once in a while something will pop up. But for the most part, it is ignorable stuff that I have posted in the past. And I feel the same way about everyday life posts on Twitter. Like, I am not going back to my 2007 
Twitter post saying, hmm, what was I doing on that day in January of 2007 when I joined Twitter? Hmm, I was walking around the school with Luc Olivier after, <laughs> on, on our lunch break. <laughs> and, uh, that was probably what we were doing actually, but you get the idea. Um, it feels sort of counter to that mission. You want your post on micro.blog to matter because the entire point of the platform is you own your posts and you are keeping your personal archive of those posts alive. And if they are not worthy of being archived, then why are you even posting them? But again, it also means that you miss out on a lot of social activity that you are doing on Twitter because on Twitter, everything is assumed to be ephemera more or less. And it is a stream of consciousness, social network. And has it been crazy obvious that my notes finished a long time ago and i'm just like freestyling right now and it's very unstructured it's just a soup of words um but yeah i i basically this is the thing if you are the kind of person who would want sort of a hybrid between facebook instagram and tumblr with really cool people you should go to micro.block if you're looking for something that is like twitter as it is today um, Mastodon is probably what you're looking for. Unfortunately, you have to deal with the entire complexity of Federation unless you host your own instance, which mm, is a problem, I think, which means there still aren't really any good, like, solid one-to-one -one Twitter clones out there uh, for us to basically port over directly. Um, it's kind of a, pro of a problem because... I have the strong suspicion that this summer is going to kill everything that is usable about Twitter, and I'm going to have no place to go, and I don't remember what life was like before Twitter. Like, I really don't, and it worries me that right now the place where I have 95% of my social life is going to be unusable, and I have no alternative ready to jump to when it's caught. And and that's a, a, con that's a good fear, and you know what? That's a valid one, but... I think what we've seen in the past, like 10, 15 years with all of the rays of social media is one, one disappears or one is not good enough, all of that stuff. People find a way to just talk to each other in different ways. So maybe for the next six months after all of the Twitter, app, see, I'm even losing the words, but even about the, the Twitter problems that will happen after the, um, the streaming PR going away. You know what? Maybe you'll realize that all of your friends will move to something else, and it might be one to two or six months where it's a bit a big kerfuffle. But at least in the end, it will just come back to where it used to be. Maybe just on a different product, a different service. It feels like a never-ending cycle of bouncing from silo to silo until one of them becomes. Uh, motivated by advertising revenue and then ruins their core product. And then we just jump to the next thing that is going to eventually get ruined by advertising revenue pursuit. And that's sort of why you always sort of secretly hope that an open technology or semi-open technology will win out. Because then you don't have to deal with this crap anymore. You can just use the open thing and it'll continue to survive. And, like, Mastodon probably has the best shot because it is fully, fully federated. Like, uh, for micro.blog, the blogs, the individual blogs will survive. But if Manton decides, yeah, microblog is done, 
all of the replies and the actual social network is going away. And then we're back to just reading each other's blogs, which is not a particularly good or particularly modern way of doing things. I would say it's a very antiquated view, especially since I've spent like half the episode saying blogs are irrelevant. Uh, like nobody wants to read blogs. Nobody even like, uh, I sort of said this earlier. Nobody even wants to click links anymore. Like there's a reason Twitter threads are like this plague that is taking over everyone's timelines is that people see so many links on their Twitter timelines that they cannot be bothered to click on links anymore unless they have an idea that is going to be interesting ahead of time. Whereas sharing Twitter threads is like you swipe on a tweet and you see the whole thing or you see the first sentence and then like some sort of indication that it is a giant ass 300 part thread that you have to read. I hate Twitter threads, but I understand why they're taking off is because people have no self-control on social media and they follow everything that they can possibly follow. And then they are overrun with links and then they don't want to click links anymore anymore because there are too many of them on their timeline. And Micro.blog doesn't really do anything to remedy this. Uh, I think we're sort of in this place where the, the only thing, I don't even know where I'm going with this anymore. I, I just really want Twitter to like lighten up and go back to being usable because I'm skeptical that any alternative will ever be as good. And it's really sad because Twitter is honestly really great. Like it has a bunch of issues and we covered them. And I made a blog post like, several years ago which is basically like if i try to stop using twitter my life is going to become significantly worse and that's that's what i'm worried about is that like yeah it's cool there's a cool community on micro.blog but all of you people are not my current friends and there is so much uncertainty about what is happening to my social life this summer that it is so weird to have been in this situation because my life runs on Twitter, basically. No, I, I, I get what you mean. And I think, um, and that's why people are afraid. And that's why I do feel that that's the main driving reason of people building new Twitter-like experiences is because they know uh, they, they want to repeat what was at the core of Twitter in 2006, seven when Twitter started. And I, and um, I think Microblog actually captures the feeling of early Twitter very, very well. The problem is, our usage patterns have changed since then, and micro.blog is sort of anchored in how things were in 2007 and has not moved forward. True, but you kind of said that you're missing what was Twitter like 10 years ago. So it's a bit self-contradictory thing. When I say 10 years ago, I mean like literally 2007, none of my friends were on Twitter. Th that's what I mean. True. I, I'm, I yeah, miss yeah, the yeah. interaction model of Twitter was a usable web application 10 years ago. Twitter had usable phone applications 10 years ago. Like, all of that stuff right. existed. And now it's like, here's this thing that looks vaguely like Facebook. The only thing that is keeping this usable is third-party developers. And we are desperately trying to knock out third-party developers as much as possible. And it's like, okay, so basically you're telling me that Twitter is against the way that I'm using Twitter. And nothing out there right now can substitute it. Except for, like, this wonky federated thing that doesn't even really resolve the issues around the abuse that that we have left over. Uh, true. And you know what? I do think that what will happen is some of the public communities will go back to being private. Like a, like a decade ago, like two decades ago, you had communities online and most of them were private and like either like Usernet stuff that was public, but there was so much less people on it. And 
let's be honest, when Twitter started, it was considered kind of a private community because nobody was on it, even if everything happened on the internet. Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't it that the profile were the profiles were private at first or something like that? On Twitter? I have a way yeah, a way a vague feeling. So about the this. way Twitter worked originally is publics were uh, profiles were public, however, you could check a checkbox which basically said, My account is private except if I follow that person. Um and that made things really weird because if two people right. had private accounts, they sort of were forced to follow each other and stuff like that. It was yeah, yeah, so there was still word stuff that re- what I remind what I was reminded of was that there was this sense of private community, and you know what? It might mean that to chat with your friend, you and you'll have to use. I'm giving all the throwing example might not be a good solution, but maybe to like exchange randomly about stuff. It might be a Slack room or an iMessage group or like all of this micro posting opinion and stuff into the ether might just go back to you post all of these opinions up thoughts and random pictures to a virtual room where you know who is in it and that's where you want to do that's where you want it to be posted I mean, I, I somewhat and, agree with that because, like, Polyphonic Room, which is a music gaming news website that I had for several years, uh, we, most of the members keep in touch still, and we are in a line chat room that, all day, and we share stuff throughout the day. Although these days it's mostly me posting dumb stuff and nobody reacts, which is weird. Um, <laughs> and for the SNES Exploration Squad podcast that I am occasionally a guest on, I'm in the Discord server for that. And I think a lot of my discomfort for that is, yeah, but Discord is barely usable either. Like, we're going from one hardly usable technology to another, and it's just like, this has as many flaws as Twitter will have after the summer. It's just they're different ones, and they're still bothering me. Oh, yes. I I do agree with you on that, and you know what? I'm not saying the life will be better after it. But saying and thinking that like you'll lose a social interaction with people or you'll lose friends because of it i think is a, a bit over dramatic of of you and uh and i do think that you know what we'll figure it away like you'll figure away your friends will figure away because you know what you want to do you want to give like stupid uh, share stupid screenshots about something funny that only like three people on the around the globe will understand you'll find those three people elsewhere and make sure that they see your screenshot whether it's in a public inter- uh, public space or not and my guess is after, like if the twitter apocalypse happens it's going to be private like with everything that happens with facebook is the next step is maybe bringing all everything we liked about twitter but in a more private space I strongly have doubts about that, but yeah. Uh, you might have doubts for that, but that's where I believe it. Maybe. I mean, I, I've been posting more on forums in the last, well, two years. Oh my god, going back to forums? Well, oh, yo, yo, Discourse, yo, yo. the forum software, is actually very good. Like, I really like the Discourse software. I know it is very polarizing, because if you're coming from the worldview that PHPBB2 is the height of, uh, of forum <laughs> software, which I I do think that I did think that um, it's much more modern. It's usable on phones, which like 95% of the rest of forum software is not usable on phones at all. Uh, but this one is like, it's usable on phones and it doesn't spam you to install stupid 
Tapatok every time you go on the page, which is like a cardinal sin. Like if your website tells me to install Tapatok, I am never going back to your website ever again. By the way, I have uh, Tapatok installed on my phone because of car forums. Yes, I know. I, I feel bad you know for what? you. Yes, you know, uh, it's true, but it's better. And l- like I said in the beginning when we, we did the comparison about forums, like there's a lot of important information that sadly is hard to Google because it's stuck in a forum that is stuck in between super shady ads. Like if you're afraid of posting somewhat like okay-ish or non-safe for work-ish anime screenshots you should see the ads on any typical uh, f- uh forum these days and especially on tapatalk and that's really really strange sometimes and i'm not even i'm not seeing porn ads but sometimes like is that a porn ad for real and i'm like i closely look at it no but that is kind of made to look like just for you to look at and click on it there's a lot of shady and really, really strange stuff happening on those forums. And that's, that's super smelly. But you know what? They're free. Those shitty ads are there to make it happen. And a lot of non-technical people, they just go where they're, the people with knowledge are, especially like, I'm going back to the car example. But a lot of people still don't want to pay. And I know I'm diverging a bit in a different discussion, but people don't want to pay and they're going where they can not pay and see everything they need. And sadly, it's in maybe forum, maybe Twitter, maybe Facebook. And that's where those big companies knows. They know that they get people, like they have people because of that. Oh man, I wanted us to, to finish on a good note and now you're diverging all this conversation on the bad side again. I'm sorry. To all the first-time listeners to our podcast, well, first of all, you're not listening to the show anymore, probably. But second of <laughs> all, uh, normally they are more coherent than this. I stayed up until 1.30 a.m. last night, so this episode is not Come on. coherent you, at you, all. You make, it, you make it sound worse than it is. I think it was like it was a typical... This is a crack. terrible episode. No, come on. It's I would say terrible. it's a typical Yannickrin. No. Oh, my God. I feel offended now. This is trash. <laughs> this can't go out. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not re-recording. Come on. Whoa, this, this will go out, but unfortunately, this is a terrible episode. It's not at all indicative of our usual quality. Please go listen to our actually good episodes, which is either the one on mobile payments or the one about <laughs> wanting a Subaru. Which is episode number two. Not the one about Subaru, but the mobile payments. Yes. So, yeah. Like Nick loves to say, it's it went downhill starting episode two. Yeah, and now and we're, we're at like th- the most downhill there is ever going to be. We're like in the valley of despair right now. That's good, because now we can finish on a good note, because from now on, our episode will always be better. Really? So we're, going, we're, going back, we're going back to valley. That's good. Mm, okay, sure. Go, let's go with that. Yeah, and on that note, let's wrap it up. So if you can find all of the show notes regarding micro.blog and all the Twitter alternative, you can find this episode on our website at limitlesspossibility.net slash 89. Yes, there's a lot of episodes between episode 2 and episode 89. If you can, if you want to look at the back catalog of episodes, you can also on a, go on our website, limitlesspossibility.net. If you want to follow the news about this epi- about the podcast you can go on twitter yes only on twitter sadly i guess sadly i'm not sure but if you want to see the latest news about this uh, podcast you can go on twitter at limipo underscore podcast that's l-i-m-i-p-o underscore podcast you can find also myself on twitter at dukanush where i talk about cars and other sometimes technical stuff let's but be honest mainly. you don't really post much 
Yes, and it's mainly about cars. And it's at Lukonosh, L-U-C-C-O-N-O-U-C-H-E. And you can find Yannick at... Sakarina, S-A-K-U-R-I-N-A, on Twitter or on micro.blog. Yes, that applies for micro.blog too. And we'll see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks.